is up, everyone? Welcome back to another weekly edition of the Vols ATV podcast. Me and Drew, of course, the old faithful, here to give y'all another jam-packed episode. A lot to uncover. Took last week off. Uh, Vols, obviously, having their run in Omaha. A lot to unpack there as we talk about the end of the season there. A lot of transfer portal news in the baseball's roster after that. Then, of course, a huge, huge weekend for Josh Heupel and the football Vols as they try to recap and uh, secure this 2024 class. Drew, first off, how you doing, my man? How's life treating you? I I can't complain about life. Um, still kind of hurt about that ending to the baseball season, you know, even if it was to the eventual national champs. Um, but yeah, other than that, man, I'm I'm doing great. It's hard to complain about life right now, and especially with uh, being fo- with football being only you know 63 days away. So it's it's coming, man. It's it's hard to believe. It feels like as soon as it leaves, it's just right around the corner all over again. Oh, yeah, man, for sure. Like, we're lucky enough that our baseball program has taken these strides to give us, like, a, you know, a benefit in that gap, making it shorter. Um, But it's not always been like that. But, man, 63 days opening up the the season in Nashville against Virginia. We literally just talked about this. 11 a.m. my time. Going to be brutal. But a a good opening week matchup against Virginia. Uh, Really excited counting down the days for that. Obviously, let's go ahead and discuss it. The baseballs had their their little trip in Omaha coming to an end, losing to LSU uh, in game one, beating Stanford in game two, and then falling to the Tigers again in game three. Uh, the Vols, you know, they had a spark there. They got back. Obviously, to get that winning at Stanford was really, really huge. But let's be honest, Drew, LSU, they were the preseason best team in the country, and they ended up being the best team in the country winning Omaha. How do you kind of take away the ending of the Vols season? I mean, I can't really complain too much about it. I think it's always, you know, good to look at from a certain perspective. You know, looking back in March, and especially before that Vanderbilt, you know, weekend when we were getting our tails kicked by Florida and LSU and everyone else in the conference, I think it was like a lot of people thought this team wasn't even going to make the tournament. You know, much less beating Clemson in their regional at Clemson and then going on to win at Southern Miss as well to make it Omaha for the second time in three years. So, And, I mean, on top of that, this team did something that Tennessee hasn't done in 21 years, which is win a game in Omaha. So, I think when you look at the big picture, I mean, it was a very successful season. I don't think – I think maybe the start of the season, we would have thought that this team had the talent to make it to Omaha. But just considering the ups and downs that they had to deal with, and especially, you know, from guys like Chase Dolander and Chase Burns, for them to really step it up and really turn it around, um, I mean, it's a very successful season. I mean – you know, there was only eight teams that made the College World Series. So when you're one of those eight that have an opportunity to win it all, I mean, you, you can't complain much. I mean, yeah, man, I remember we were talking about the Vanderbilt and Arkansas Series. Where we were literally looking on paper during the show, like, is Tennessee going to make, you know, the, even the SEC or the, the whole tournament in general, man? Like, it was – we were already had crossed off the hosting the regionals to start off and, you know, playing Clemson and Southern Miss like we did. Obviously, we did not have an easy path. But we kind of got what we wanted out of this team, and that was getting hot at the right moment. This team had a crazy, crazy run, whether it was from, you know, Simo and Zane Ditton and Blake Burke all having their moments, you know, Maui Ahuna, all the guys finally clicking. I think we had a a crazy postseason run. Um, Just the viewership overall of what college baseball has become these last few years, especially this year with our series, uh, the whole nation watching. Saw the games from, you know, Dolander, Burns, you know, getting that second game, that W for us. All around, man, I cannot complain on the season. The brutal part is what happens after the season. Um, we're going to definitely discuss that. 
but a lot of, you know, new faces coming in, a lot of guys departing, whether it's, you know, going to the MLB draft that's shortly upcoming or, you mm-hmm. know, going to find them a new home. Uh, I really, I, I can't hate it, Drew, how this season ended. I think we had a, a crazy run. And like you said, the first win in Omaha in, in that long, it is obvious that, you know, what Tony Vitello has done in the last three years, you know, two, two out of the three years going to Omaha, a 2024 number one class, according to D1 Baseball, on the way. And, you know, what they've done the past two days, adding massive, massive pickups in the baseball transfer portal. The Vols are not done, and it's crazy to even talk about baseball. Or we're 63 days away, and we should be locked in all the way on football. We're talking about baseball and transfer portal action after the season, after we just lost in Omaha. It's completely blowing my mind. No, I mean, and that just speaks, I mean, it just speaks volumes for Tony Vitello and, you know, Frank Anderson and the staff in general, where it's, it's the end of June, almost July. I mean, fall camp is right around the corner. and We're still discussing about college baseball and still discussing Tennessee baseball. So I think it just speaks, you know, wonders for Tony V and the program on how far they've come in such a short span. And, you know, on top of that, you know, baseball program finally getting the renovations that it needs, you know, with potentially up to $100 million it's going to be going into Lindsey Nelson, you know, starting – I believe it's almost as early as August or September when they're going to start, you know, adding up to 2,500 more seats. So, I mean, it's a very exciting time. I mean, there's a lot of pieces that are going to need to be replaced. And, you know, a lot of guys are leaving the portal, which I guess we can, you know, deep dive, you know, into it right now. Um, obviously, the biggest one, the biggest elephant in the room, uh, you know, Chase Burns leaving, um, you know, who had a 3.54 ERA, 13-5 in his career here at Tennessee. Um, you know, not a lot of people know this, you know, especially just the general fan, but it's been known for quite a while, at least the last six to eight weeks, that this was a very high possibility that he was going to leave really ever since he got out of that starting rotation. So, and I'm curious about your thoughts on this for me personally. I mean, I think it's, it's, it's a tough loss and it's not, you know, like it's a tough loss in the sense of what we saw Chase Burns do in this tournament is in the assembly tournament is the reason why he's, considered to be a first-round draft pick next year. But at the same time, though, when you see what he – the huge fallbacks that he had as a starter, as a Friday starter, yeah. you know, having thrown over 10.2 ERA in-conference play, and from what I've heard as well, you know, I'm not I'm not the biggest fan of rumors, but, I mean, you know, the rumor was is that, you know, he kind of, like, shoved off a lot of, like, you know, the pitching suggestions that Frank Anderson and the staff had for him in games, and in result, lead to freaking bombs being, you know – you know, oh, yeah. hit off of him. So I don't think it's that huge of a loss. I think regardless, one way or another, he was going to be gone next season for the MLB. But, um, yeah, I'm certainly curious to hear on what your thoughts are on it. I mean, it's no doubt that, you know, when Chase Burns came in his freshman year, he was a first-round draft, you know, projection. And then after this year, how he closed out, that stock definitely went back up. And, you know, hearing the rumors of the teams that are involved, obviously TCU, Vanderbilt, some even LSU chatter out there, um, not even surprised, man, because going back to that Arkansas-Vanderbilt series when all that took place, like you talked about in conference play, it just kind of felt like after that, like his whole mood kind of changed. And I'm sure there's a lot of family and outside input and his input like that. But I think going away and after this, you know, as the dust settles at both sides, Tennessee and Chase Burns are going to have some regrets. I think there's probably some kind of, you know, bad, you know, vibe going on that may have led to these things. And at the end, there's like, you know, just already had his mind made up. But I definitely think there's some childish play. And, like, I think Wes Rucker, when he dropped that article today, 
uh, it was very spot on because I don't think, you know, Frank Anderson wanted to lose Chase Burns. And I don't think Chase Burns wanted to leave Tennessee. Obviously, he grew up a Vanderbilt fan, he says, but playing in the, your home state of Tennessee, everything you've done after this year, having that moment on the camera against Southern Miss where you literally, you know, improved your whole stock. I'm sure there was some kind of way that, you know, if it was, you know, NIL related or something like that, that Spire Sports could have went down. But I really do point to that, that pitching rotation spot where I think he just felt the disrespect of, that, you know, he wasn't going to be a starter for this season. And I definitely think that it was known and addressed to him that he would be a starter for next season because if he's not, then that would just be stupid. Oh. But he wasn't going to be the Friday starter. They already made that clear that it probably yeah. would be Drew Beam's job. And, I mean, obviously it goes, you know, he's gone. We can't really do nothing about that. The elephant in the room, the offers that were on the table of, you know, Tennessee, you know, not being able to match whatever offer. But let's be honest, TCU in the state of Texas, man, it is ridiculous the money that is down. That we talked about that in every single right. sport. And if he does go to TCU and that, that number is true of $500,000, he has one more year and then he's a first-round draft pick. I would I would definitely understand the need to do that. But uh, I'm definitely glad it's not Vanderbilt and LSU from what it seems so right now. Obviously, his official decision is coming up. But I, I just think there's going to be a lot of regret from both sides. I don't think it hurts Tennessee especially after the conference play. But what we saw in the postseason play, if we could have had that Chase Burns and then, you know, him locked in, obviously the relationship with him and Frank Anderson just, just wasn't there, Drew. So, I mean, I can say as, I mean, it's about as, it's a fact. I mean, I'll, I'll just say it right here. It, it was, it's a complete fact. Yeah. NIL money is not an issue with Chase Burns. In fact, oh, Tennessee no. was more than willing to pay just as much, if not even more than what, schools like LSU and TCU and Vanderbilt was offered. It really just boils down to the fact that he just does not have any trust in the staff. And, you know, while I can't understand it, you know, at the same time, I think someone like Chase Burns has to look himself in the mirror and be like, look, I fucking sucked this whole entire conference, you know, as a starter. I mean, I think what he what allowed seven runs against Florida, his last game that he started in the first inning. You know, like, I mean, in Knoxville, too. Like, I think, like, you know, it's – I think it's understandable from both ends. Like, I think, you know, we all know that he has the talent to be the Friday starter, game one starter. There's no discussion about that. He was already there before. I mean, he was already there. But the problem is, is that when you are very reluctant on having different changes on your style of pitching and you're not willing to take that advice and you're not willing to accept that, that is – like, that affects the entire team. You know, and I mean, and it surprises me to the sense of like him being a junior, almost, you know, starting next year, he couldn't even see that he was pitching better out of the bullpen. Maybe he did. Maybe he just still thinks that he deserves to be an automatic starter. But I, I think this team's going to move on, man. I think they're going to be fine. I think there's going to be some regret maybe for sure on wanting to try and keep a guy of his caliber. But, you know, I mean, with a lot of the guys they have coming in, and especially a couple of dudes that they have, you know, added from the portal too. I mean, yeah. Tennessee's a very popular destination in college baseball, especially for any guy that's in the portal right now. So it's tough loss, but, I mean, I think you move on. And, I, you know, I mean, I ten- Tennessee's going to be just fine going into next season. They'll still be a top 15, top 25 team, and it'll be interesting to see what happens with Chase Burns. But I, would, I will yeah. say this. I mean – he goes to TCU, I think that's totally fine. It's totally valid. But now, if he goes to Vanderbilt or LSU, oh, I'm personally, in Very my curious. opinion, he He's reaches the same level of... Henry Toto? Hatred Henry T. Absolutely. I think he reaches the same le- level of hatred among this fan base as Henry T. If not, if not even more. Because Henry, T., Henry Toto was good, but it wasn't like he was 
single-handedly number one, our best guy. Like you know, a, I think we had we thought that he had the potential to be a first-round pick, but I don't think he, he was a guy that was like irreplaceable, irreplaceable necessarily. Yeah, Chase Burns is like I mean, top ten pick. Yeah, oh I mean, yeah, I mean, so there's, there's no doubt about it. Even I think, after the season Dolander had, he's projected to go number seven. I mean, yeah. So I mean, I think he would reach that level if he went to Vanderbilt or LSU. Um, but I I would like to think that he knows better than just for the most part just to leave the conference and try to go to a different destination. Yeah, I mean, obviously the the what has to go, you know, you know, get back in return through the transfer portal. And, you know, they've lost Chase Burns, now Hollis Fanning the day before that, to, like, you know, a guy that I had some, you know, kind of hope for. Uh, he's gone as well. Tennessee obviously is fine at the pitching position. A.J. Russell probably going into the weekend rotation. You have Wyatt Evans is probably going to be uh, returning from injury. Uh, Bryce Jenkins. And then a lot of uh, talented freshmen, ones that are even playing on ESPN Plus right now in the National Championship of high school is a uh, – Tennessee commit this, you know, incoming in next year's class, given what happens in the MLB draft, obviously. To talk about what Tennessee's added in the portal, first, it was, you know, A.J. Costey from Jacksonville State, a guy that's going to be a a really good guy in the bullpen, I think, for Tennessee coming out of the pen. Um, Then you also, obviously, yesterday, the huge, huge one was Cannon Peebles, the catcher from NC State, Mm -hmm. All-NC State, All-American. That guy is going to be a stud. Uh, If we saw the postseason, Drew, what we need most is probably a catcher. Um, oh my I mean, god! There's, there's yeah. no telling. I mean, not not just not one or two errors. In, I mean, in that not game. just from from batting. Because I mean, no disrespect to Cal Stark, but he was. I mean, he was a t- complete liability. It's like as soon as you knew the kid was going on the plate up the bat, it's like that's an automatic out. But I mean, even defensively, he made so many mistakes, especially in that LSU game. You know, in that third, that second time we played them in Omaha, um, having a guy like Peoples, dude, that is that is a game changer. You know, I've kind of. It's kind of like one of the most underrated positions in the sense of like where if you have a catcher that can hit, that changes everything in your lineup. I mean, we saw that, you know, even with Evan Russell a couple of years ago, you know, when he transitioned from outfield to catcher. I mean, having a guy that's able to play, you know, solid defensively, but it's able, you know, to get some hits at bat as well, it's not a very common thing. So, I mean, this was, this was a huge time get for Tony V. And I mean, I, He's honestly, I mean, he's obviously an instant starter, you know, once he walks on campus. Yeah, man. And then today, the third big pickup, I think, was, you know, Nate Sneed, obviously, the Wichita State yeah. pitcher, uh, freshman. He could have gone just about anywhere, Drew. I think his final two were, you know, Tennessee and Arkansas. Picks Tennessee, had an ERA of 3.16 and struck out 53 in his 42.2 innings pitched out of the bullpen as a freshman, even had the starting nods sometimes. I think this is a guy that, you know, he did that as a freshman. Obviously, people that don't know baseball are going to point to the the level of competition he's playing. But this guy's definitely a stud. He even hit in the triple digits. You know, Tennessee losing two guys that had that potential in their arms. I think it's really critical to get that kind of back. We've seen what it's done for our bullpen, especially two years ago when we had Ben Joyce. Yeah. And this guy even has an exit velocity of running velocity of 105.6. So he's probably not even at his like full potential yet. Did all that as a freshman, hitting triple digits. I think this guy... He might even break his way into the starting rotation. Might even get that that third game starting behind AJ Russell, Drew Beam, AJ Russell. Maybe you know you see Snead in there, but I, I really do not think that Tennessee's done. Obviously, you have the Wofford transfer, and then the, mm-hmm. the big big name, uh, the Clemson guy that was in town today. Uh, you can probably talk more about him than I know, but that would be a huge huge uh, infield utility pickup as well. 
And if Tony V is able to kind of restock and just rebuild after, you know, going down in Omaha, I think these guys are taking notes that Tennessee is like going to be a, a well-known contender in Omaha. Two out of the last three years could have been three of the last four if COVID didn't screw us out of that team and what we could have had with that. I think it's just crazy. I don't, I can't, I don't know another program that you can look and say that they have consistent trips like this. I mean, I think Tony V knew after, like, I mean, just not just, you know, watching in Omaha, but all season, you know, I mean, the needs that we needed on this team more than anything else is, in my opinion, you know, a left-handed pitcher. I mean, just having different types of guys. I mean, because, you know, Kirby didn't really play that much this year when you really think about it. And just having two or three guys in your bullpen that are left-handed and are able to throw different types of, you know, off-speed pitches is a huge thing just to get a, you know, get a good mix-up and whatnot. But, I mean, especially shortstop, man. I mean, Mally, you know, Mally picks it up near the late of the season, but – he was a total liability defensively almost the entire year. You know what I mean? And, you know, I, and I think he's going to go to the draft as well. I don't, I, I think, he, well, I might be wrong. He might not even be able to come back. I think he's, has he used all of his eligibility or, or is he draft eligible? I think he might be draft eligible, but I'm not a baseball expert. That would be a question for our boy, Logan Quinton. Logan would certainly know that answer, but, but I think I'm pretty, I mean, he's eligible for the draft. So I think it's a high possibility that he goes and you're obviously looking for another third baseman too, with, you yeah. know, with Zane Denton being gone. Now I think about just, Zane Denton, I have a, I know Zane Denton gave out his goodbye. Right. But I think Zane Denton has a lot to think about because obviously um, he was a really, really clutch hitter. But I think his batting average could have been a lot higher, you know, with some other decisions making. It was a yeah. problem when he first came from Bama. We saw the clutch hits he had, the grand slams, the home runs, the walk-offs. But I think that's a guy that, you know, he has to really think about something. Obviously, one year in Tennessee after transferring, where is his, you know, where is his projection going to be at? If it's, you know, a single A where you're traveling all around the country in those beat-up motels. I heard this on Fox Sports Knoxville today and Fan Run Radio. If you're kind of traveling all around, I mean, Tennessee, I know you can stay in Knoxville for another year. Have the Taylor Swift memes. Your stock is booming for another year, and you're getting a guaranteed 50k plus in NIL probably to come back. And we we know we need a third baseman. I definitely think that you know if his projection is a little low because of those things like the batting average and what did cost them. If another year would be very beneficial for Zane Denton, and it would also make a huge spark for this fan base for next year as well. I mean, from what I've seen, it looks like he's supposed to be drafted within the first five rounds. So the way I've kind of seen, like, you know, the trends of players is, like, if they're drafted within the first six or seven rounds of the MLB draft, it's, I mean, you're talking about close to a six-figure contract, at least low six figures. It's hard not to say, you know, yes to that. Um, it will be interesting. I mean, we I mean, we desperately need a third baseman. I mean, even if, he, even if he does come back, we still need to get one in the portal just for depth, you know, in general. But I mean, I would you know I would also say you know just continue adding guys in the outfield. I mean, I know we we had Cole Eaton at you know who is a commit, but obviously the you know the possibility of him coming here, you know, five star outfielder and potentially being a first round draft pick is we very slim to none. But we have uh, we have seen crazier shit though. So I mean, it, I remember um, I remember last year when we were talking about you know our commit list, and granted we do have the number one class according to D one baseball for this upcoming year. The draft is going to be, you know, really important for that class just because I remember last year we got a lot of guys that we were just hoping would make it to campus and that we could have been really, really high on ended up going in, you know, the second, third round. And that's more of a popular thing in, you know, Major League Baseball is for high school kids to just be able to go out of the draft immediately. Um, obviously, a smart decision to go play pro. Who would not, you know, who would pass that up? 
But I yeah. think when Tennessee is looking at losing guys like this in their rotation, and you know, last year losing eight of their nine, making it back to Omaha this year, that's not going to be an easy thing to continue to do as you're turning over your roster and you're kind of you're kind of banking on this recruiting class that you know we've been able to look on all year long, especially in those tough midseason times. We're like, hey, our recruiting class next year is going to be tough, but then after going to Omaha, our expectations, you know, were risen. And then being able to be like, oh, wow, okay, we do have this class coming in. I think it adds to the expectations. So if you can keep some of those guys, you know, get them to campus next year, there's no telling what the guys that we don't even know that, you know, this year we grew to know that are coming in for next year. Like, it's just ridiculous. I can't believe we're talking about baseball recruiting for the first 30 minutes. (laughs) Well, you know, I mean, it's just one of those things with college baseball, man, especially recruiting. Like, it's a very unpredictable thing. I mean, you know, there was at one point where Tennessee had Mookie Betts committed to him, you know, was 10 years ago. But I mean, you know, I I mean, I know from personal friends that have gone on and got drafted in the MLB and now are playing in the majors now. Weird if you get drafted within the first three rounds, like one of the one of the guys I know, Brandon Marsh, who plays for the Phillies now, if you get drafted within the first three rounds, you're getting close to a guaranteed million dollars in contracts money. Like, and you don't. I mean, if you're 17, 18 years old, you're not going to say no to that. Thinking, yeah, you're not thinking twice about that. Yeah, you're not you're thinking, not thinking college twice about that, man. So. It's one of those things. I mean, maybe – I mean, Tony V is a very persuasive guy where, like, his – you know, players love him. Recruits love him. So, I mean, who knows? You can never say never. I mean, crazier things have happened, you know, in college baseball recruiting. But just in the grand scheme of things and just being, you know, in general, it'd be very surprising if Cole Eaton came here. Now, if he did, he's an instant starter day one, and you're talking about a freshman All-American that's just going to tear it up, you know, in SEC for years to come. But – Regardless, though, this program's in a great, you know, great position. It's a very attractive place. And, you know, I mean, if you're a guy that's in the portal where you came off of, like, you know, being an all-conference player, I mean, why would you not come to Tennessee, you know? So, but regardless, I think that's enough uh, college baseball talk until about, let's say, January or February, hopefully. <laughs> I um, think, I mean, obviously, whenever we get our full crew back, I, I, if we do, I can't wait for that day to happen. But I think that – uh low alex and rob will have some regarding words for this past season but i'm i think i'm ready to turn that page as well um obviously what we have in 63 days is going to be very important to this show and we're going to be diving into that giving our predictions for the whole football season but cannot pass up what we got coming up on the court the vols basketball is absolutely turning over the roster the video is coming out had me pretty hyped up drew seeing dalton Kinnett, jordan ganey and a lot of other guys you know just getting me kind of excited for this upcoming season. And then today the yeah. news breaking out that Tennessee will be heading to Chapel Hill next year, playing North Carolina in this upcoming season. Uh, how do you feel about that one and the rest of our SEC schedule as we dive into basketball? Man, this is going to be a very, very fun basketball season. Not to mention, I mean, obviously football is going to be a great season for all of us as well. But, man, basketball might just be, if not even more exciting. Um, yeah, Vols got announced playing North Carolina in the annual uh, inaugural SEC ACC Challenge at Chapel Hill. Uh, I believe it's the day before Thanksgiving, too. So on national television, we'll be on ESPN. It's going to be an unbelievable matchup. You know, I was looking at our schedule today. Um, dude, our schedule, our conference especially, is the most insane, insane thing I've ever seen. Yeah, it's fucking uh, crazy. So let's just, let's just break it down a little bit. So I got it break, broken down for us. So we start off the year playing at Wisconsin. First game of the year Banger. at Wisconsin. Wisconsin's going to be a top 25 team. They're going to bounce back. They're probably going to be a sleeper pick for the Big Ten this year, in my opinion. They should be. 
And then you're talking about a couple weeks afterwards, we head over to Maui, and you're talking about potentially we'll play either Gonzaga, who's preseason number eight, Kansas, who's going to be preseason number one, Marquette, who's preseason number 10, Purdue, who's going to be preseason number three, Syracuse, not the same Syracuse as 10 years ago, of course, but, you know, still yeah, ACC. Yeah. UCLA, who's going to be a preseason top 25 team as well. And, of course, Chaminade, who hosts the damn thing, but they're Division two, So that's a guaranteed win if you play them. But you're talking about potentially playing one, two, three, four, five, six, seven pre- preseason top 25 teams in that tournament alone. And then you follow up playing at North Carolina, and then you play Illinois home, which is going to be a fantastic matchup. And then NC State and San Antonio. This Dude, might be. Who the fuck's going to go to San Antonio to watch? Respectfully, I, I don't understand that decision. Just like I, I mean, we we did the same thing last year when we played Maryland in Brooklyn. I mean, it's yeah. just one of those like Colorado basketball classics that they have. I mean, if the money's there, you're going to do it. Me but you're talking about potentially Tennessee is going to play one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine preseason top twenty-five teams, and that doesn't include. Teams that are inevitably they're going to be in the top twenty-five, including Auburn and you know, Kentucky as well. Vanderbilt. I mean Vanderbilt potentially. <laughs> I mean, I, did, I, I don't know, man. Jerry Stackhouse is at the last ten games for them. They looked pretty damn good. So, but when you look at our, uh, they did announce the other day that we have our SEC home schedule and away. So we'll play Alabama, Auburn, Florida, Kentucky, LSU, Ole Miss, South Carolina, Texas A&M, and Vanderbilt at home. And then our road trips in conference play is going to be Alabama at Arkansas at Georgia, Kentucky, of course, Mississippi State, Missouri, South Carolina, Texas A&M, and Vanderbilt. So really interesting that we're playing Alabama and Texas A&M on a home-and-home as well. Um, But, I mean, dude, SEC this year is probably going to be considered one of the best, if not the best, conference in college basketball. And from what I've been hearing, at least with this team, a lot, you know, with some of their summer workouts that they've had, Freddie Buckets is already predicted to be a late first-round draft pick. Hasn't even dribbled a basketball yet. Hadn't even played a game. He's already predicted to be a first-round draft pick, which is an unbelievable thing. <laughs> Dalton Connects from Northern Colorado is apparently just balling it up. Just as good as advertised as far as shooting a three-ball and playing with confidence and being aggressive. And Chris Ledlin from Harvard, they say, has a really high basketball IQ that he's been able to see the court very well and can create opportunities. When you look at this roster, man, I mean, not, not to mention saying, I'm not Jordan Ganey, right. too. Dude, this seems nuts. There's a reason why ESPN has us preseason number six. When you go on top of Santi and Triple J returning, with Sakai included, making this an elite. Meshack, Toby Walker. Meshack, Toby Walker. I mean, dude, this Toby's is. Toby's had three triple, or not triple doubles, double doubles in the last four games with Team USA. That yeah. is actually insane. Like, just all around. Now, and- now, granted, the U19 FIBA Basketball World Cup is not the same competition as opposed to playing in the SEC or just college basketball in general. But it's still very good, and I think this is a fantastic experience for him on learning to play different types of schemes and you know different types of players as well. But, dude, this basketball team is going to be damn good. I mean, dude, re- I- they're going to be incredible. I mean, this is – if. I know we said this last year, right? I we did we, say this fucking last year. <laughs> and I know we got a little too hyped up about us beating Gonzaga by 20 in the preseason game. And I think we had a little bit too much of a stock on Tyreek Key as well. But if Rick Barnes allows his guys to play the free confidence basketball that his roster is just dying to play and doesn't hold them back offensively, 
this team, in my opinion, doesn't have just the opportunity to make their first ever Final Four. I think they have a very good opportunity to win the national championship. What What made me really, really happy is when Tennessee basketball put out that social media video, and it was of Jaime Shaq and Dalton Kinnett and Jordan Ganey in back-to-back videos, and it was Rick Barnes coaching them up, but it was on you know them behind the arc doing like immediately getting shots up from three, like catch and shoot immediately, which, you know, obviously how pass heavy our offense really is and how much we've like complained about that and like not taking the first shots, seeing those happen, obviously Mayshack hitting the three, seeing Dalton is advertised, and then Jordan, like Jordan Ganey's quick release is insane. It is, yeah. it is like disgustingly good. Seeing those back-to-back-to-back shots, and obviously it was for a social media video, it was going to see them in-game, but just made me really happy knowing like the situation that if Mayshack can figure it out offensively drew on top of everything that we have brought in I I can't like stress enough how important he was for that run going into the postseason in March it was absolutely insane what he was doing defensively and in conference play and I just think with everyone coming back Santi and Zakai you have your leadership guys not to mention Josiah's here on a freaking preferred walk-on at this point like it's just absolutely ridiculous what this roster has and I'm definitely excited. When you were talking about the whole uh, out-of-conference and opening up play, my mind immediately stopped when I heard Purdue. It's like the vol in me after the last few years of football and basketball against them. Yeah. I would love to catch them in Maui. We should have caught them last year in the tournament. I really wanted to. I would love to catch them in Maui. Uh, of course, that list, you have to just you know win in general against teams like that, against Marquette, Gonzaga, Kansas. Like It's going to be a very tough opening, but I think it'll definitely help us down the line as we get into conference play. Um, maybe this team doesn't have it figured out to start the season like we saw last year where like we had questionable losses to Colorado, etc. Maybe it takes them, you know, a few weeks to get going and get like on paper. Obviously they look really good, but they gotta gain that chemistry in games. I, I just think me personally, I think this could be what we saw a few years ago where Tennessee like goes damn near undefeated in conference play or something insane like that where it might be one of the best seasons to uh, I wouldn't go as far as undefeated in conference play because, I mean, the SEC has got about five or six teams that are in the preseason top 25. And even schools like Alabama did, that did lose a lot in, you know, in the draft. I mean, these yeah, are still schools that recruited top 10, top five nationally, you know. So I think, I mean, but I don't see why not this team can't, you know, be top two, top three in conference. I mean, I think they'll have the second best odds, in my opinion, of, you know, winning the SEC. Um, but there's no, I mean, hey, there's nothing wrong with, like, if this team finishes second or third in the SEC in conference play because SEC is going to be absolutely brutal in basketball this year. I mean, especially considering the amount of talent that Texas A&M has returned back. And, you know, I think schools like Vanderbilt and, you know, even, I mean, I think even Florida are going to be a little bit better than they were last year. But, dude, when you look at this roster, man, I mean, I think one of the biggest things for us that we were kind of a little bit hesitant about was like having guys like, you know, Julian Phillips and Tyreek Key and seeing how they would be able to adjust and have that chemistry going. But at the same time, though, like looking at this team, I mean, you're talking about Triple J, Freddie Buckets, who, in my opinion, it's not even really that big of an adjustment because he's been on the team since January and Santi as well and Adu and Awaka. I mean, these are guys that, that's his. That's a pretty much a veteran lineup at that point with a lot of experience. When I, think, when, I, when I look at that and I think about how many times last year where Tennessee, you know, when they had really, really big wins, they had multiple guys have, you know, 15 to 20 points 
on their on the board. And then we saw a lot of games where Tennessee took tough losses where only one guy would pop off or 15-plus and the rest, nobody could really be found. And we begged and begged and begged to see more guys involved. When you look at Freddie Buckets, a guy that obviously is known for his three-point shot, Dalton Kinnett and what he's been able to do, obviously coming to the SEC, like you mentioned, a lot more tougher, tougher competition, but he seems made out to be everything he is. Everyone that we know we already have that's getting an extra year under their belt, I just think it's going to be really, really hard for those guys not to go out there and have multiple guys and multiple dogs. Like we talked about Rick Barnes, that video clip last year where he's like, we don't got no dogs on the team. You know, uh, no one has that it factor. I think you're going to have a lot of guys that step up and are able to like sink. And it's not just a one guy show. I think this team is going to be able to have multiple factors and that's going to make Tennessee unstoppable. That's why I'm you know, it could be one of the better seasons where Tennessee is not, you know, where they're going and beating teams down just because it's not, you stop one guy, we have another answer for you. The, the one thing that helped last year's team back more than anything else was just the lack of offensive play. And we yeah. just had too many guys that were far too inconsistent on being able to get baskets for us and win games. We saw that. We saw that. The, I mean, the tournament was a fantastic example of that. I mean, we, we couldn't get anything going offensively against, what was it? Uh, who we played in the first round? Fucking Louisiana Lafayette. Yeah, against Louisiana Lafayette. Second round, Kamwa played like his hair was on fucking fire and played and the game of life. The Michigan man, and then in right. Sweet Sixteen against FAU, just completely disappeared. I mean, like, so, I mean, and when you when you have guys like Awaka, where they got that experience as early as they did, and they're going to be able to translate that, you know, going into next season. I think you're going to see a lot of dudes are going to play a lot more loose, play with a lot more confidence. And I think Rick Barnes has to realize that – I'm trying to figure out the way how to phrase this. I think he has to realize that he has to give up a little bit of his defense in order to get more production offensively, which means I mean, that he's right. going to have to, you know, allow guys to play freely. Make mistakes, yeah. You know, make miss, mistakes. Miss, you know, miss drives, miss Miss drives, I mean, you know, shoot contested threes. I mean, like, I'm not talking about doing that every single game, but, like, you have to allow them to play with their confidence, but as opposed to in the back of their head that they shouldn't shoot. Like, you don't you don't just play for the best pass and for, you know, if a guy feels confident that he's going to be able to make this 30-footer, you allow him to shoot that 30-footer. It's pretty buckets, man. And that's, that's what they did with Grant Williams and that Admiral team in 2018-2019. Like, they played free. They just – they felt like if they felt like they were hot, they were going to, you know, they were going to go ahead and shoot it. So, I think he's realized from last year and the last couple of seasons that he has to allow that to happen. And if he does, man, the sky's the limit with this team. It really is. Yeah, and I think you know how big this is for guys like J.P. Estrella, Cade Phillips, Cameron Carr that are just getting their feet wet. Um, it's going to be hard for them to maybe see the court with this stack of a roster like we saw last year with a lot of guys that just couldn't get on the court. PJ Edwards, um, but like I, wow. I definitely no 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 no. It's no. not it's not like that though. Not like no. that at all. Before you made make the BJ Edwards comment, like it's let's just like, be let's just gonna, be real. It's not it even remotely from... close to saying. That's what I was gonna say though. Because he had no business playing last year. He was yeah. he's not good enough. There there's a reason why he went from Tennessee to SMU. Okay, and there's yes. no disrespect towards kid. I hope nothing but the best for him, but. He was a complete liability defensively. He couldn't do anything offense. He wasn't willing to move. He can't shoot. You know, he has a very limited range, even for a guard. That man had no business playing the SEC. So, I think the I was, difference. As I was going to say, I think it's going to be really beneficial. I, 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 really I, I, beneficial I, for guys like, you know, J.P. Estrella, Cade Phillips, and Cameron Carr when they have guys like Vascovi and Zakai. Um, 
Dalton Kinnett, obviously, with his experience all over. Chris Ledlam that we still, you know, failed to mention sometimes, which is absolutely insane because that guy is coming from the Ivy Leagues on the top ropes. A guy that's going to be a huge, huge piece for this team. And you look at those, you know, upcoming freshmen, like a class that we just had, I think they're definitely going to be able to learn and get, like, a lot under their belt. Just seeing Coach uh, Coach Barnes already coaching up Estrella in those videos, getting his high touch and getting, getting the, uh, the ball out, you know, down low. I think they're just going to be able to build, and if they can trust the process, you know, for the next year or two, they're going to be coming in really well experienced. It's going to be, like, a lot to have that veteran, you know, mindset. And I think mm -hmm. you talk about, you know, the Grand Admiral days. Like, we have a lot, a lot, a lot of experienced guys that are going to be able to pave the way for the future of this program. Because a couple of years <laughs> ago, before these guys came into Tennessee's program, you had a lot of question marks of what the future of Tennessee basketball might be like under Barnes. And it seems like that flame's kind of going away, and it's kind of building itself. I mean, I think – I wouldn't like at least for me. I wouldn't say that like I had question question marks about Rick Barnes because I know exactly what we what we're getting with Rick Barnes, which is you're going to have a team that's consistently in the top fifteen, top twenty five every single year. You're going to win twenty plus games. You're going to make the tournament every single year, and you're going to lose some games where you had no business losing to, and you know you may fizzle out in the tournament. And for me, like that's okay. Like honestly. Yeah, I know that sounds I know that sounds fucking crazy to a lot of our fans, but I if we can make the tournament every single year, which we've done for the last what three tournaments now, four tournaments, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm I'm more of a content, like content with that. Like I mean, that's just considering where Tennessee basketball was ten years ago, especially with Conzo and Donnie Tindall, and even prior to Bruce with Buzz Peterson and Jerry Green and Kevin O'Neill, like the tournament was a pipe dream, you know. I mean, Drew, for a, for a long time, like and. Think about this. We talked about baseball. Tony V could have had three out of the last four years, but has two out of the last three in Omaha. Rick Barnes is pretty much a lock to make it to the tournament. The college football playoff is, you know, very hard to get into, but we saw this year that in the next two years when it expands to 12 teams and Josh Heupel is going to probably be a sure lock to get Tennessee possibly into the college football playoffs. It's going to be crazy when we're talking about the day and age of all men's sports going into, you know, championship possibilities. Like, it's just, you know, the path is there. And I think obviously for Tennessee as a whole, but definitely this year with like a roster, like with, you know, Rick Barnes and stuff, like just getting to the tournament, man, it's not, I think a lot of people take it for granted is what I'm saying. Oh, a million percent. I think a lot of people have forgotten where we were, you know, not just 10 years ago. I mean, hell, like five years ago, once Rick Barnes started, you know, when his first couple seasons, I mean, it was brutal to watch, you know, some of those yeah. teams. But I mean, you know, we know what we're getting with them, but I mean, there's just, I don't know. I got a different feeling about this team this upcoming season than I've had with any other team. And I think the huge difference between this team and, you know, that 2018-19 team that we all we all love is the fact that we have depth. You know, you have four or five guys on the bench that are going to be coming off the bench that could score. You know, as opposed to that team with Admiral and Grant where it's like you had that starting five and then, what, maybe – Maybe Jordan Bowden or Lamonte coming off the bench, and that's it. I mean, you know, you're talking about your second biggest, you know, center was Derek Walker. I mean, like, guys that just weren't good enough for this league. But you got nine, ten, I mean, hell, almost 11 guys out there that have the talent and capability to be able to be productive. And I think I think if you're a guy like Kay Phillips or Cameron Carr or, I mean, even arguably even DJ Jefferson, like – I know, like, you want to go on the court. You want to be on the court, and you want to get minutes. But realistically, I think they even have to know, like, it's going to be better for them in the long run 
to be able to be developed by Barnes. Because if you look at guys like Schofield, Grant Williams, I mean, hell, I mean, I would even argue, you know, the Scobie as well. Having that opportunity to get, you know, be able to be developed by the staff, it's proven over time with a lot of players under this program that it's worked out big time. I I think that's going to be, you know, very beneficial for those kind of guys for sure. And I'm putting my eyes on a guy like DJ Jefferson, man, because obviously his defense is getting figured out. His offensive threat needs to be figured out. But, man, like, I can't wait for the games where we have, like, a fast break and DJ's down the court and just does, like, some insane dunk contest poster. Like, it's, his athleticism that we saw already is out of this world. And I think that guy has all the tools to just blow up. The coaching he's getting now is going to be very beneficial for him. And I think that, you know, not just him, but the guys we talk about, obviously, if you understand what the path is, it's hard to trust the process. But it really does. It's going to pay off, especially – with where this program is right now. I just, oh, I mean, I, there's several guys that are going to be on this team that are going to be able to make those sensational dunks like DJ Jefferson. I mean, Dalton Connect is going to be one of those, too. I mean, Chris Ledlam. Chris Ledlam, too. I mean, you know, and uh, I mean, even Triple J has shown that, you know, shown flash, flashes of that as well. So there is, dude, and there's so much damn talent on this team. I mean, it's just, it's, it's honestly almost overwhelming on how much talent is on this basketball team. So, you're going to look at, like, I mean, you're easily going to see, in my opinion, about 10, 11, 12 guys potentially play every single game just because we have that much talent out there. And I think it's going to be exciting, dude. I, you know, there's going to be a lot of marquee matchups, a lot of great matchups, especially in Thompson Bowling uh, with Illinois, you know, and Kentucky, of course, and Texas A&M coming up. But um, it's going to be a fun, fun, fun basketball season. There's no doubt about that. But Finally, enough with the basketball talk, Brando. We got to talk about this incredible recruiting weekend that Josh Heupel and the staff just had. Um, give us a little bit of the rundowns on, you know, some little cliff notes and what happened. Also, I would love to hear your thoughts on uh, where are we at with Jefferson and Mike Matthews and what are the high poss- you know, possibilities, if high possibility, that we get both of them to commit to Rock Top. I mean, yeah, man, I think, you know, last week we didn't really get to recap the June 16th weekend that was just as stacked as this past weekend. Uh, a lot of names that, you know, came out of that with obviously Williams Nowannery, uh, Cam Franklin, having Merklinger back, guys like Daniel Calhoun, Kai Bates. I think Tennessee sits well with a lot of those guys, including Kai Bates and uh, Braylon Staley. Obviously, Staley has his uh, commitment date set for Friday. I think Tennessee's in a really, really good position there to get the four-star wide receiver, but he did come off a visit to North Carolina. Uh, has been liking a lot of UNC stuff, but I think that's kind of just to kind of throw everyone off. You come off your recent visit, you're going to you know, you're gonna show love to that fan base. I think Tennessee's you know, really excited there. Uh, they want to take four wide receivers in this class, so they lost J.J. Harrell early on. This would be a, a very good refresher to have, a guy that's insane athletically with his long jump, two-time state champion in South Carolina right now. Uh, Tennessee wants to add there. Kai Bates, top 10 defensive back. Sounds like he went to LSU that Tennessee was, you know, hoping he wouldn't make it to that visit. But the LSU on three mods said yesterday that it sounds like the top 10 corner could be Rocky top bound saying that uh, he's been leaning towards Tennessee coming out of his LSU OV. That is absolutely huge for a guy that's, you know, growing up talking about LSU being DBU when his whole recruitment was very high on LSU for Tennessee to get him in his OV, get him around some of the guys like Boo Carter and et cetera that were there during that huge weekend. I think that played a, a huge, huge mark. This past weekend, Drew, it was probably the most insane one since last year with that uh, Memorial Day weekend, the Rocky Top Palooza. 
Tennessee hosting, of course, the five-star and four-star wide receiver Mike Matthews, the five-star and the four-star in-state Baylor athlete Amari Jefferson, who's already committed to Tony Vitello for baseball. I guess the big elephant in the room for that, um, Mike Matthews already you know, has made it very clear that he wants to commit after his official visits has wrapped up Clemson, USC, and Tennessee. I think you could definitely expect a decision from you know early on July, maybe even the first week of July to the second or third week. I think he wants to get this thing wrapped up. I, I really do like where Tennessee stands. There's a lot of Clemson chatter out there based off their recruits and what their recruits are uh, that are committed are telling people, but I think Tennessee and their staff and guys like Boo Carter and Jake Merklinger have had their hands all over this one. Uh, seem really, really, really confident. I would, you know, I think Tennessee's in a great position to land the five-star wide receiver in this class, which obviously last year compared to this year when Memorial Day weekend, if they can come out with a positive note compared to the negative note, that would be really good. I, the one that's really questionable to me, I'm more questionable about Amari Jefferson just because uh, fell in love with Alabama throughout the process, made it back to Tennessee for the football side. Like we said, he is a, a Vols baseball commit. Had a lot of time to spend with, you know, Josh Heupel and Kelsey Pope. Uh, him and Mike Matthews were out on the boat having the full recruiting weekend going down the Tennessee River, seeing Neyland, seeing all the facilities, everything like that. I think that was huge for Tennessee. Um, Austin Price and the VolQuest guys, they feel confident and uh, really good about Tennessee's uh, where their placement is right now. But, you know, a guy that's going to be a late July decision is Bama going to try to make some more phone calls. It's going to be, I think, I can most compare it, honestly, to the Arian Carter recruitment last year just of how it went down to the wire. I think Tennessee has to stay recruiting him heavily, having guys in his ear like Boo and Matthews. If he does you know, get in the boat before Amari is in the boat, I think that's going to be huge. Uh, you cannot stop recruiting in this kind of battle. I think it's going down to the wire. I'd even say 50-50. Bama feels optimistic. Our guys feel optimistic. would be a huge pull. I feel like you can't let a, an in-state wide receiver get out, but I think we could see how Tennessee could come out, Spire Sports and the Vol Club, give that one final phone call and try to secure the in-state, uh, make them stay home like they did with Arian Carter. I do have a lot of uh, my eyes on a lot of guys that were here this weekend, including, you know, the four-star running back, Braylon Russell. He was, you know, getting hit it off with guys like Dylan Sampson, Jalen Wright, and the other 2024 running back commit, Peyton Lewis, uh, just hitting it off, coming off his Arkansas visit. He is from Fayetteville, Arkansas, but I think Tennessee's in a really, really great spot there. Uh, deciding on his birthday, July 14th, I think this is a – a huge, huge visit to get him in on. I would not be surprised if Tennessee can have that thunder and lightning combo. Um, Peyton Lewis still going all over the charts, ranked the top 10 fastest guy in the country right now. So just seeing like how Josh Heifel and everyone is figuring out this offensive side, it's all coming together. Uh, my biggest question mark is on the offensive line, but we're going to get to that in a minute. But you look at the quarterback, you got Merklinger, you got you know Peyton Lewis at running back. Can you get Braylon Russell in there with him? Uh, you have guys like Jonathan Eccles who locked down their recruitment alongside with four-star in-state DB, Caleb Beasley not going to Notre Dame. Uh, I think those are two huge ones. And then you try to fill it in at wide receiver with Mike Matthews, Amari Jefferson, get Staley in the boat. And I think Tennessee might try to take a fourth. Uh, I would have my eyes on Terrell Anderson from Anderson, North Carolina, that was here this past weekend, another four-star. I think Tennessee probably sits well there. I think he wants to come to Tennessee, but Tennessee's still trying to figure it out and playing their cards right with the recruiting class and how they're going to kind of move that around. Um, then you look at the offensive line, man. I know you look at you know this being a huge weekend for guys like William Satterwhite and in-state four-star uh, Ronan O'Connell. But my biggest you know takeaway was the movement that Tennessee made with Bennett Warren. Uh, a huge, huge, no exaggeration, huge 6'8", 350-pound offensive tackle 
from uh, Texas. That guy is down to Tennessee, Texas A&M, and Michigan. It sounds like the biggest factor is A&M. But getting him in for the visit, a lot of the insiders and some of the staff was, you know, stressing that just getting him here for the visit would be huge for Tennessee landing him, that they would probably have the momentum in landing him. I think that would be one to definitely keep your eyes on as he, you know, hit it off with guys like Boo Carter, Mike Matthews, Jordan Ross, etc. And then, you know, mentioning the five-star edge rushers that were here, Jordan Ross, Elijah Rushing. Jordan Ross, uh, you know, really thought that one was trending away for a long time, thinking that Georgia and uh, Florida were kind of getting more momentum there. Steve Wolfong, the week before Jordan Ross's OV, OV was last week, said that Tennessee is the team to be. Obviously, an official visit already wrapped up his visits elsewhere. You can only take one visit per school. I would hope that that means a lot for Tennessee, but I think this one's going to go to December and early signing day. Not going to be done anytime soon. But one that is going to be done is Elijah Rusting. Uh, after his visit came out with the July 9th date, I think this one could be 50-50. I don't think it benefits Tennessee really well that it's coming like immediately after his OV. Um, a guy that's from the state of Arizona, out west edge. I think Tennessee would love to get him here. I think he hit it off. Obviously had like all the dark mode. They put him through like the whole presentation like he would with a commit. But we obviously know from last year and past cycles, that really doesn't mean anything. Um, they can always, you know, switch up and go to a different school. I think Tennessee and Oregon are the two schools in the driver's seat there. But I would lean, you know, Oregon by about like 10%, 60-40 going in. I think Tennessee's going to be able to make some final phone calls. And if they could pull that one off, that is definitely a Rodney Garner, Mike Eckler moment. But Drew, obviously Mike Matthews, Amari Jefferson, um, those guys deciding before, you know, the end of July. I think this is going to be a crazy, crazy July for both sides of the ball at Tennessee. I think they've had and really filled in the defensive side really quietly with guys like Kellen Lindstrom and Jordan Burns. Uh, wanting to get guys like, you know, Edwin Spillman locked in, but now you, you filled in those safeties and corner spots, you know, with Caleb Beasley, Marcus Gore, and Boo Carter, all three in-state guys. I think Tennessee is going to try to try to wrap it up and try to get their their huge big pieces before they make some late additions in you know December and May. But I think Tennessee's positioned themselves really well in the, the months of June and May of getting guys on campus that are trying to decide by their senior season. And we'll see how it plays out for Tennessee. I think a lot of guys are going to come off the board in the next month. Um, maybe ten of the targets. Do they all come to Tennessee? We'll have to find out. But I think Tennessee's positioned themselves really really well, and it's you know through the calculators, and if we're doing all the math ratings right, it's looking like Tennessee, if they have it all go their way, could have a top-five class in their hands. Yeah, I mean, it's it's not, you know, you shouldn't be too surprised about that just given, like, what we're coming off of from last year and as well as just what Heupel and, you know, the staff and especially Ronnie Garner and what they built in such a short span. I mean, I think it'd be huge, I mean, just for this program in general to be able to get guys like Amari Jefferson and Mike Matthews yeah. uh, to come over here. I know Ryan Wingo was a guy that we, you know, said a few months ago that was a possibility. And I've heard today even from, you know, some insiders from Georgia saying that he's not going to go to Georgia. Missouri so, down, man. It's crazy. It's going to be interesting. I don't know if he would come here. I still don't know. I but, think it's really weird, man, because at this point, I think it's coming down to a money thing. And for what was really weird going into the July 16th weekend, it was all about, you know, uh, Wingo coming off his unofficial and then, you know, hosting with Nawanery who's at his at that time his final two were you know Oklahoma and Tennessee now it sounds like his top two are Georgia and Missouri so just the the amount that this stuff can change from you know night and day week by week is absolutely insane especially in that kind of recruitment um obviously both 
Missouri natives. Uh, Tennessee has a lot of guys on the roster from Missouri, so I'm sure they'll be having like the final pitches. The whole plan for Wingo uh, originally was trying to get him in for a game day environment for his OV. If Tennessee still has the relationship, if they've not moved on, uh, maybe he gets in for a game like you know the South Carolina game or the A&M game would be a, a really nice environment. But I definitely could not. I would not be surprised if you know Tennessee wants to go ahead and lock it up if they get good news from Mike Matthews and Jefferson and Staley. If they don't just go and grab a guy like Anderson or someone that's you know wants to be here and is not going to play mind games. I think they've had enough and kind of learned from you know when to push off or when to keep applying pressure. And I mean, like I'd rather just go get a guy that wants to be here than it's going to mess with us for Missouri. Like this is my personal exactly. opinion at this point. No, I mean I agree with that too. I, you know. And I think they've realized as well, it's like if they can get at least one five-star like Mike Matthews and Amari Jefferson, you know, who's going to be a high four-star, if not, in my opinion, potentially a five-star by the end of, you know, the recruiting cycle. Um, if you're able to get that, I mean, you you should be more content with that. I mean, you shouldn't be rolling the dice and playing a risky game on still actively recruiting high, highly touted wide receivers. Just because, I mean, you know, if a lot of these kids, they could definitely see that as a sign of disrespect and potentially going elsewhere. With the Wingo thing, man, I mean, it's it's unpredictable as hell. I mean, I, I think a lot of us also thought that, like, he was for sure going to be a done deal at Georgia. But now it looks like all of a sudden, like, now they feel like he's out of their, you know, contention. And, I mean, NIL is a crazy damn thing, dude. If we, if, if we can't tell from the last few months, it's that you really never know when it comes with NIL online on, like, how a recruitment is going to play out. But, I mean, I think we're in a great position. I know from what I've heard that, like, a lot of schools like Clemson have been, like, negative oh, yeah. recruiting with Mike Matthews just because of the NCAA cloud that's hanging over us. But hopefully within the next two to three weeks, when we finally get a damn verdict on, like, what our punishments are, yeah. that that – that will help us recruiting, you know, and, as well. And maybe, so. maybe that does still have a factor. Obviously, the news that came out for LSU's programs in basketball and football, um, that was not, you know, great to see as a Tennessee fan with that coming up. Hopefully, we're hoping for a lot better news it's, um, just because of how well we, we cooperated and everything else. But um, I don't think that that still has as big as an impact on recruiting as it did when Josh Heupel was first getting here year one and he had to mm-hmm. – struggle to even recruit in-state guys like the Wade Twins. Like, let's not forget that, or Mark Stevens well, was being able to leverage over us. I will say this. Um, I think we're going to be okay, because, I mean, for the most part, LSU really only just got probation and a few scholarships revoked. Yeah. Uh, we didn't do anything like uh, funneling booster money through a children's hospital to recruit and get we, kids. We did, so not, we did not do we, that. Nope. So we didn't do anything that extremes. I think we're going to be okay, considering LSU really should have gotten – Damn hammer! I mean, if we're, if we're going extent. down on LSU, can we mention the elephant in the room going on in college football in the SEC right now? The failure to observe that Kirby Smart has with his program right now. The news coming out with Jamal Jarrett today <laughs> of what he did on his <laughs> official visit there is absolutely disgusting and insane. And uh, I'm just glad that my head coach has some decency and respect for human beings. And our program is no longer in the hands of buffoons. I, I mean, I will say so – the Atlanta Journal-Constitution has come out with two pieces this year regarding the culture of Georgia. The one with about, you know, their their speed trafficking violations that they've had, which, by the way, is over 300 since he's become yeah. head coach, which is just, it's unbelievable. I mean, it, it really is. And then when you That's go on top of this, you've now had 11 guys that have been accused of sexually assaulting or raping. One pleading guilty. One pleading guilty. One who, by the way, did plead guilty, not only plead guilty, 
still stayed on the team and until he transferred out the next season. And, you know, nine other guys as well where we've come to find out there's been alleged detectives saying, you know, kind of like looking at the other eye because they didn't want to put punish their beloved Bulldogs. I mean, it's just the – you want to talk about lack of institutional control in the NCAA acting like, you know, that we had that happening over here three or four years ago. George is a prime example of that, you know. And I mean, and I'm not I'm not saying this because George is the two time defending national champ. I mean, literally what has been going on in that program is it's fucking disgusting. Fucking disgusting. It is terrifying. It is oh it, it's speechless. It's truly speechless on what has happened, what is going on in that program. I mean, when I you mean, have guys let's not forget Tony when, Mitchell at Alabama got caught with hundred grams of weed in the fire. I mean, he's back on the team. <laughs> Well, I mean, let's be real. A- Alabama's been doing that type of stuff for years. I mean, so I well, think – Jalen McCullough, you get indicted. Like, what I the mean, fuck, man? Let, let's just, I mean, I will say this. I mean, have you know, having $10,000 in weed and a gun in your car while you're driving over 100 miles an hour, not the best idea. But I still think raping a woman might be a little bit worse than that. Oh, just, I mean, my, just my – I'm not laughing at that. I'm laughing at the fact that we're <laughs> no. talking about – like Bama and Florida, or Georgia. I mean, Florida probably included. We just don't know yet, but I mean, holy uh, shit. Well, uh, well, Florida, not now. Florida, 15 years ago, whenever Meyer was head coach, 1 million percent, which, by the way, when that documentary on Netflix comes out next month, it's going to be um, awesome. Uh, I, yeah. I can't wait for it. But, yeah, no, with Georgia, though, it is, um, it's, it's honestly, it's terrifying, and it you know it's frustrating as hell that this is not being talked about enough in the media, national media because I like I would like to think you know because everyone likes to talk about how for example Tony Vitello is this horrible human being and he's a piece of trash and like you know he's yeah. bad for the game but they don't talk about how that you know that Florida's head coach and how he married oh my god how oh, he married no. his wife no one wants to talk about that oh you my know, god. He, People want to talk about, you know, about the stuff that Pruitt did within our program and all this stuff, but We're no one wants to. Need. No one wants to talk about the fact that Kirby Smart sent his players, ten of his players, to a court hearing where one of his guys were getting was arrested in court for sexual assault and sent ten of his own fucking players to plead with the judge on to not charge him and to not put him into a, a trial. So. I'm sorry. Like, I mean, for me to be fair, get furious, pal, pissed off, Roan County rage over this, I think I have every right for that because it is just, it's unbelievable that we can just back the eye on that. But, oh, Tony V bumped, you know, the chest of an umpire who was oh, told Jaylen and deserved it. the dude out that walked you know, in his house and it, now he's getting indicted for it. Exactly. So, I mean, like, it's, it, it's honestly, it's unbelievable. But, before we wrap up the show, though, um, I, I did to, want to yeah. talk about one thing with football recruiting, which I, I personally I was going to do some crystal balls after uh, before we wrap it up. So, too. before we do the crystal balls, right, I want to talk about this. Ricardo Jones. If Lago, oh, my God. Okay, we're just going to break the fourth for, wall. This for, was fucking ridiculous. Uh, for our listeners that don't know who that is, and trust me, I didn't even know who they he was. They don't know who he is because I've never mentioned him on a recruiting four, turnaround ever on the show. Four-star safety that committed to Clemson yesterday. Um, he gained a little bit of national attention based on the fact that when he did his unveiling that he had a Vols t-shirt on, put on a Vols hat, and then in the middle of it said, hell no, 
took off the shirt, took off the hat, and then, you know, revealed that he was committed to Clemson. Um, it kind of really cracks me up because when I watched that video, my first thought was like, this guy was hurt so much the fact that Tennessee quit recruiting him about nine months ago, and he still has to get over it, which, I mean, I to an extent, I do understand because from what, from what I've heard is that his family were huge Tennessee fans. When he was growing up, he was a Tennessee fan, so – I'm sure he wanted that opportunity to come play here, and Heupel just didn't think he was good enough, which I, mean, I don't blame the guy. I kind of but, <laughs> you know, but for him to act like that Tennessee was even the running in the contention of, like, of him being committed and having that hat on his, you know, platform, on his commitment day, it was quite comical. Because I mean, they they, they weren't even recruiting him in the first place. I mean, Drew, he never he never had his official visit here. He never, you know, I mean, he had an unofficial here, but Tennessee's never going to deny an unofficial. But I mean, that should have been telling alone that he, you know, never had a Tennessee OV. Um, I guess you know he went to Clemson. Happy for you, good school to you know to fall at for a fallback plan, of course. But I would uh, ask your school to show you the final score of the Tennessee Orange Bowl because they definitely didn't post it. I know it's not in their locker room. I know it's not a recruiting tactic for them, just like, you know, Dabo trying to talk about sanctions because he cannot talk about on the field or final scores. And, you know, what Josh Heupel and our defense did to his star quarterback, Cade Klubnick, that's just my opinion. Obviously, Tennessee was not recruiting him, Drew. Uh, we never have mentioned his name on a recruiting coverage on our show, I think, ever. I've never seen the name Cardell Jones ever on this show. Um, sucks. I mean, obviously, a four-star, hopefully, probably a really good prospect, Tennessee Always, like I said, we know in the recruiting base, they keep their eyes on the, the prospects they're recruiting and they've built relationships with. And if that wasn't with Cardell Jones or there's a reason why they stopped that recruitment, um, I don't blame them. I'm sure they're, you know, off this judgment of character to even do that, uh, I think kind of grants Tennessee's reason for not recruiting. And that's just kind of obviously a child childish thing to do. You know, that's the popular thing to do in this day and age of recruitment. Uh, but I don't think that helps him or anyone else further down the road if he wanted to be a possibility with how the fan base reacted to it and how uh, everyone else and the Clemson guys reacted to it. I, I just don't understand that. When I saw that on my timeline, I, I cringed pretty hard. I was, you know, just trying to have a normal day at work. I was on my break, open Twitter, and I see this kid. You know, I'm like, oh, it has a really good commitment. And uh, then I saw that. And, you know, I hope the best for the kid. I'm not going to be down and, you know, wish anything bad on him, of course. But I just think it was a very, very dumb thing to do. And I, I think he kind of crossed off a bridge that could have been reopened down the line come signing day if Tennessee wanted to have a, a different opinion. I don't think they're calling his phone. No, they uh, they certainly were not calling his phone, that's for sure. I mean, and like I said, no disrespect to the kid. I mean, he was a four-star safety, so he's got to be somewhat decent if he was getting offers from Clemson and Florida so State. So Jack Luttrell. They did him dirty. <laughs> well, we know that our boy Jack's going to be tearing it up. What, maybe it might not be it might not be this year, except for kickoff returns. I, I think he might be. It's going to be insane. I, I think it's gonna be good kickoff turn. It might not be this year as a safety, but we know the next year or two that he's gonna be he's gonna be damn good for us for sure. Lightning. But um, yeah. Before we end the show, Brando, crystal ball predictions. What do we need to look for as far as recruiting goes in the next coming weeks? I mean, I, I definitely think a lot of uh, some of the rest of the in-state guys are gonna come off this board. I think Tennessee wants to get those wrapped up, and then you look at the the ones coming off the board that have set their date. You know, coming up this week in three days. Or, you know, guys that are talked about being in July, like Mike Matthews and Amari Jefferson. Uh, first off, I guess to go ahead and get the in-state guys. I think, you know, Edwin Spillman comes out with the top two here soon of Ohio State, Tennessee. I think that one's wrapped up before the end of July. 
Uh, I think Tennessee gets their second linebacker in the class, and then we'll try to you know look their eyes for a third one to add with Edwin and Jordan Burns and, and Tylen Singleton, get him back on campus. He wasn't able to get here for the past week, had some uh, family health issues, but it's not like he lied like Dejon Terry. He's actually going to come. So I think that's going to be a, a huge one that Tennessee can put their eyes on. Uh, then you look at the, the in-state guys, man, Ronan O'Connell, William Satterwhite. I think Tennessee is really eager to get some more bodies in the trenches. I think O'Connell coming off his OV uh, is going to try to get it wrapped up. That's a Tennessee-Clemson battle. I'm going to say crystal ball to Tennessee. Uh, looking at William Satterwhite, I think that one's a lot closer. Um, obviously, really looked at Clemson really, really hard, but the, the fact that Tennessee was able to get him back that quick, back for an OV after he fell in love. Uh, Tennessee, you know, originally was battling huge programs like, you know, Georgia and Alabama in that recruitment. I think that's a Tennessee-Clemson battle. Right now, I'm going to lean that that's Chris Baller to Tennessee as well. I think Tennessee gets it done there. And then I think Tennessee, you know, they did enough this weekend to try to add another body to the trenches right now. Uh, I think Bennett Warren has a little bit more longer to go, but I think uh, I think Josh Heupel and Glenn Ellerby are going to be pushing this one really hard. That guy's going to be a guy that can come in day one and probably have significant time on the line. I'm going to you know put the crystal ball for the four-star offensive lineman, top top ten offensive lineman to Tennessee as well. And then the big ones, obviously everyone's eager about Braylon Staley uh, coming up on Sunday. I'm going to put the crystal ball into Tennessee as well. I think he kind of, you know, backed off Clemson. That was Tennessee's biggest threat. Went to UNC as like an insurance plan, but I think he'd be pretty dumb to not, you know, take the offer at Tennessee. I think this class has a perfect spot for him. And they can kind of go ahead and lock your uh, decision in. That'd be uh, smart for him to do. I think the Vols get good news on, on Friday this week. I think Mike Matthews has this wrapped up. Maybe even before July 4th, Drew, I would not be surprised. I've heard, you know, as soon as before Sunday or you know, maybe mid, mid-July, but I think that Tennessee has done enough. Clemson's going to be in his ear a lot. You got Bryant Wesco and TJ Moore that are really good friends with him, but I think Josh Heupel and the relationship with Kelsey Pope this past week and getting on the boat, probably talking to the Vol Club, chilling with guys like Boo Carter and Amari and Merklinger, and of course, Nico. I think Nico's playing a really big factor that more people are realizing this, uh, the Nico effect really is real. I think the good news is going to come. I think Tennessee gets it done, lands the five-star wide receiver. I think Mike Matthews is a Vol by the end of July. And then Amari Jefferson, uh, I really, it's really hard. I can't really put like a confident crystal ball on this one just because of how close, close it is. But I think that, you know, obviously the eagerness to play both baseball and football, I think, you know, Tennessee baseball is really eager for some good news. I don't think they want to have any more negative news. I think that's a prospect that they really, really want and would work with. He might not be, I've heard that he wants to focus more on football now than baseball. So I think this is a huge, huge, huge opportunity for Josh Heupel and Kelsey Pope to try to get this one done. But I think Tony V is also going to be extremely important that knowing Amari can do both and have that ability on the field, but also have a chance to come in whenever it's time to end the season and get some kind of action. I, I My gut tells me Tennessee. I think Tennessee does not let this one get out of state like they did Arian Carter, battling a program like Alabama like we did last year. Um, Tennessee just has to do whatever they can to kind of get it locked down. I don't think Tennessee wants the optics of not landing that in-state four-star wide receiver, a guy that's going to be a crazy, crazy athlete on the field. I think Tennessee is going to get good news there. And then, obviously, we mentioned Braylon Russell, the other four-star running back. He's going to July, July 14th. Um, Tennessee seems like they've been trending really, really well. I think this visit was huge to get him back in. So I'm going to say Tennessee as well. I think Tennessee is going to be able to put all the dominoes in on their offense here. 
uh, try to get that really well filled. I think by the end of July, early August, this class is, you know, up there in the calculators. I think the average is going to rise significantly. Tennessee in really, really good shape with most of their top, top prospects. Um, I think, you know, Cameron Franklin, Cam Franklin and Elijah Rushing, I'm going to say, for Cam Franklin, I think he's, you know, playing this really weird. Obviously, Ole Miss, Tennessee, Miami. I think it's more Tennessee, Miami now. Going back and forth from Tennessee to Miami. Can Tennessee try to get him back in for another quick visit before he decides? I think even if they don't, I really, really do like Tennessee's chances. But he's just been floating a lot of not coming to the SEC and going down to Miami. Um, me personally, this is no diss at Miami, but it really is a diss. Life Wallet, their stocks has literally crashed. They were, had a failure to observe, a failure to identify their numbers. I'm pretty sure their whole entire stock is being removed from the exchange. Um, there's no telling what that NIL and infrastructure is going to be like in the next year, what sanctions they have to come down the line from their abuse early on in the NIL. I think Cam Franklin would be smart to come play for Rodney Garner in Tennessee and just you know take the guarantee of the ball club. I think that would be a huge, huge pickup. And I think it'd be Tennessee's, you know, I'm really worried about the defensive line, but I think Tennessee has done year after year to get that one guy signed by December. And I think Cam Franklin might be that guy, given how Nawanery kind of backed off. Uh, when I look at Elijah Rushing, I think it was a guy, like a great, great, you know, time to get him in for a visit all the time. I've seen Tennessee in his top four, finally getting on campus. I'm going to lean, you know, Oregon 60-40, but I would not, you know, rule out the like potential final phone calls coming off that kind of crazy visit. We've seen it happen against us so many times where guys trended away. Maybe Tennessee can make a final phone call after a visit and get it trending for them. But overall, Drew, I mean, this class, the offensive side is getting figured out. The defensive side we know is going to fill it up. And we're only in July, August. Tennessee has four more months for early signing day and they can wrap it up lately in the end going into May. But I think Tennessee – is going to try to get this thing wrapped up in July and August with their main guys and then go and try to flip some before signing day and make this class, you know, one of the probably the best class in recent history. Yeah, I mean, I think the next four to six weeks, we're going to see a lot of movement as far as this recruiting class goes, whether it's like new guys coming in or even some of our bottom feeder commits on decommitting and going elsewhere. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's exciting times, dude. You know, it's crazy how ever since they moved, you know, national signing day from February to essentially really December that it's kind of shifted that dynamic of players committing from August to September early as May and June now. So I think it'll be exciting. Um, 63 days, man. That's all I got to say. 63 days until it's football time in Tennessee. A lot, a lot to, you know, is going to unfold from then on. Um, But yeah, other than that, I don't really have any other final thoughts. I mean, yeah, man, obviously a lot to look out for Josh Heibel. Can they kind of get this class locked in? And then we talk about, you know, 63 days. Tennessee has to go on the field this year and prove and keep those guys locked in until December. They're going to have to, you know, not not just have a one-and-done season. I think not only that for recruiting, but for the overall, like, healthiness of Tennessee football, uh, getting more guys, you know, locked in to see the health, like, the, you know, the trajectory going in. If you have multiple good seasons, it's going to only benefit you down the road. Uh, it's not just like a one-and-done, not a one-trick pony. So I think, obviously, there's so much – going into um, a lot of baseball guys so looking coming off the board Tennessee trying to get it done to football baseball and a lot to do unpack I guess it's like that one part of the show where we cover all the athletics but it seems like really all thriving going into the right direction given you know the baseballs and Omaha how they ended I think everything is in really really good shape and uh, 63 days to Nashville man 11 a.m. kick to Virginia Hopefully we can, uh, in a few weeks, we'll probably have our annual predictions. Can't wait for that and the, the sanctions to come with that. Uh, but, man, 
a lot to look forward to, and hopefully Tennessee gets some really, really good news for the next time we're here next Wednesday. Drew, any any final comments, my boy? No, man. I mean, I mean, I think he covered all completely from all cylinders, whether it's football, basketball, or baseball. I mean, this is from, you know, 2022, 2023. This has been an unbelievable athletic year for Tennessee. And I think it speaks volumes for, you know, not just Danny White, but this whole entire university on kind of like getting around our people, you know, in the athletic department and really try to make sure that we can be the best, you know, in everything school, more or less. So exciting times, dude. I mean, that's all I got to say. Yeah, man. I guess uh, look out for the good news Wednesday and we'll be trying to be back with a uh, full crew, at least some of the crew. And a lot to unpack, a lot of good news, more more portal news on the way and more recruiting news on the way. And, hell, hopefully we have an answer to this ongoing madness with the NCAA. But, Drew, until next time and everyone else, good night and go balls. Go balls.